know, that's the theme music for my soon-coming radio show that uh, we'll, we'll be airing now. Uh, we have a team of people that put these bumpers together, you know, for different series of messages, and this lady named Sarah did this one, and it's a really hard thing, you know, to just pluck an idea, an idea that I have for a series, and then find something that fits the feel of it, the mood of it, and, and that's just perfect. Um, you don't care about that at all, though. It's just, it means something to me. It doesn't mean anything to you. All right, we're, we're continuing in our series, and it's called Night. And um, we're going to deal with a message today that, frankly, of all the messages in this series, it's going to be the one that's probably the most uh, uncomfortable for some of us. It's going to get kind of close to home. It may be something that uh, is, we're experiencing it right now. But I want to start us out on a kind of a different track to get us thinking a little bit together. So picture that the world decides that we're too fragmented, we're too divided, technology has thrown us close together, fast transportation has made it where, you know, every, every nation is accessible to another, and, and so they get together and they say, you know, we, we need one voice, one ruler over all the nations. We, we need a king, and we need that king to be completely trusted in by everyone. His word will be the word, it will be the law, and so... The search goes on to find the king of the whole world. Now, let me just start by asking this question. How many of you think that is a bad idea to have one human being ruling over the whole world? Can I just see your hands? Yeah, you know a little history then, right? <laughs> you know that we don't do very good with power. And there have been emperors that have come and gone that wanted to rule the whole world, and it does go very well. But some might even be sitting here thinking, well, that would, that would kind of be a good idea if, if. So let's just say this was actually going to be attempted. They're going to try to find, the world's going to try to find one king, one voice to rule over the whole world. What would be some of the characteristics, some of the traits that you would want this king to have? Kind of just let that kind of go through your mind. What are some of the traits or characteristics? If you were going to be completely submitted to this global ruler, what kind of characteristics, traits would you want that individual to have? Now, I jotted down a list that I suppose will fit with at least some, if not most, of your thoughts. Here, here's what I have. I think we would want somebody that's competent, clearly, for the job, and strong. This is going to take a lot of strength. We would also, though, want somebody that's kind and good. We would want somebody that's just and fair. We would also, though, want them not just to be just and fair, but tender-hearted and compassionate. We would want them to be gentle and patient, merciful and forgiving, faithful and consistent. We want to know that, you know, we can always count on them to be consistent. They're not going to just change their mind erratically. Uh, trustworthy and reliable, kind of close. Sensitive and caring. And then finally, humble and approachable. Did I touch on some of the ones that went through your mind? Can I see your hands? Some of you are like, no, Randy, because my mind was blank. I was thinking about what I'm going to eat later on today. <laughs> I was thinking, I hope you get through this message quick because I'm hungry. My stomach's growling right now. Now, I said that this message might be the most difficult one, but, but let's, let's think about this king again. So if this king were to have these traits that we have kind of all surmised would be, you know, what we would desire how exactly does the king get these characteristics yeah i mean is the king just going to be born you're just born tender-hearted and compassionate and forgiving and merciful and kind and gentle and good are you just born that way 
or would some of these traits probably have to be learned have to be acquired and, and if you were to learn them if you were to acquire them do, do you acquire them or learn them academically in other words do you just study a book and it says you need to be gentle if you're going to be the leader of the whole world or you need to be compassionate or caring what would that be sufficient if i just read be tender-hearted be compassionate be caring can i instantaneously be that or if I were going to have these traits, if this world ruler were going to have these traits, would he have to perhaps go through some experiences that would change him sufficiently that he would have these traits? For example, if you undergo a certain type of sickness or a certain type of hardship in your life, it might be uh, you know, economic hardship or you might get some sort of a disease that causes you to have chronic pain or something like that if you meet somebody that's gone through the exact same kind of economic hardship or the exact same kind of chronic pain that you have aren't you automatically more tender toward their pain and, and they know that you know the language of their soul you can read them you know what they struggle with in a way and that makes you tender toward them if you think about what we're saying then it means that sometimes we have to go through some experiences that may not be desirable that may not be pleasant initially in order to develop certain kinds of traits certain types of characteristics that we do want or desire and think are good I'm going to twist your head a little bit so what we're kind of saying is this is that sometimes we have to go through bad things to become good people we usually hear that the opposite way why do bad things happen to good people but I'm suggesting what if the truth is sometimes I you we have to go through bad things to become good people I'm not saying it always works that way but what if that's at least part of the truth about the way we develop now we're going to look at a real king in the portion of scripture we're going to turn to he's the second king of Israel he's a person that's really familiar probably to most of us in here his name is David the first king Saul he has been rejected by God when we come to this portion of scripture he's been disobedient on two separate occasions God is going to get rid of him and he's going to bring in a king that God himself says is a man after my own heart he he's a man in other words that thinks like me he likes what I like he loves what I love he wants my will so he he's going to bring all that but but we're going to see this person this king and by the way when you come to this portion of scripture i'm going to turn you to samuel the prophet that we dealt with last week how many of you were here last week how many of you were here last week let's see so you of course you remember you remember samuel probably went home and studied all about samuel i know that i know how you are you are bible people man so samuel the prophet is is told by god go and and anoint this young man his name is David he was probably between 15 and 22 years old when he's anointed because he's the one I'm choosing to be king so Samuel has already gone and said God has chosen you young man to be the king of Israel he knows that and then things start to happen first he gets invited into King Saul's court to play his harp because Saul was having um, depressive maniacal you know mood swings and things but then later on he gets famous because there's this big battle between the Philistines and there's this big captain of the Philistines and we all know his name it is who Goliath and David takes Goliath on when none of the rest of the Israelite warriors were willing to do it so that's how he comes to fame so that's kind of your historic background by the way when David 
took down Goliath, it says he took him down with a sling. But, but it's not like one of these kind, you know, with the rubber band and you shoot the little thing. The slings in biblical times, they were about this long. It was a, a pouch, and you would swing it around like this, and they would put a rock in it about the size of a major league hardball, and they could fling those things accurately about 100 miles an hour. It was a serious weapon of war. So it was a smart move. They hit Goliath in the head with that instead of getting too close to the big man. You don't want to do that. So anyway, that's the background. Now, he gets super popular instantaneously overnight. All of Israel loves him. King Saul invites him into his court, gives him a big position over the army. He wants him close, and then all of a sudden, things change. King Saul goes further. King Saul gives to David his daughter to marry. And so David has it made. Now, he knows that he's already been anointed to be king, but he's not pushing anything. He's not trying to get the kingdom or anything like that. He's just serving God. He's faithful. He's good. He's righteous. He hasn't done anything wrong. He is in the center of God's will as much as any human being can be. That's when he comes to the night. The night. There are those dark night of the soul experiences unfortunately that, that, that God's beloved chosen children tend to experience in fact I'm going to say something that might affect some of you more than others to the degree that you have desired in your heart to be used of God to the degree that you have pled with God change me do whatever you need to do with me I mean some of you have prayed these crazy prayers I prayed them back when I was 23 years old do whatever you need to do I, I just want to be utterly useful to you I want you to be able to do whatever you want through my life. Oh, God, grant whatever has to happen that I can serve you. When you pray those crazy prayers, God answers. And sometimes you might experience circumstances that other people don't. All right. Now, remember what we said a minute ago. We said if we're going to have this king that rules the world, he would have to have certain desirable attributes like tenderheartedness, compassion, mercy. And we even said, sometimes you have to go through bad things to become good people. But bad things can happen to good people so that the good people can become Christ-like people. So let's follow this out. Here we go. The night of defamation and destitution. David is at the pinnacle of popularity and power and then all of a sudden, his credibility, his reputation, it's ravaged. It's trashed. The same people that thought he was the most wonderful person in the world, many of them probably would have thought he was the worst person in the world. You're going to see why and how this all happens. He had it all. He was living in the king's palace. He had the king's daughter as his wife. As his wife. He was wealthy. He was popular. He was powerful. And then in one night, one night, it all gets wiped out. The night of defamation and destitution and it could be it could be that some of us right now we're going through that night it's not unusual for God's children to go through remember what we said sometimes you got to go through bad things to become good people and so it's not an unusual experience you would say but, but why why we got to allow his children to go through such tough things he he's powerful he could protect them if he wanted to well maybe he wants something more for us than our immediate comfort maybe he sees that by us becoming a different kind of version of ourselves, that that's the very best thing that could happen to us hence he lets us go through things that we would rather not go through and that we don't desire david didn't desire what was going to happen to him Okay, here we go. Let's go to the text. 1 Samuel 18. 
It says, as they dance, this is the women. This is after David had killed Goliath, and the women, they're all celebrating, dancing in the street, and here's their chant. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his, how many? Thousands. And David his, how many? So all of a sudden, they're giving David, the killer of Goliath, more credibility than the king, King Saul. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the what? The kingdom. So all of a sudden, Saul, who knows that God has rejected him as king, knows that his time is ticking before he's going to be cast off the throne, he's looking at David with a jealous eye, and he's starting to discredit David. He, he's saying, I know what you're up to. You, you, want, you want to take my kingdom. You're just setting me up. He's essentially saying, you're, you're just kind of an, an assassin in the, wing, in the wings waiting. He's completely tearing David's character apart. He's projecting, maybe you know some people like this. They will project their unkind, their unholy, their unrighteous character on you because they think in wicked terms, in selfish terms, in accusatory terms. They'll project it on you, but it's really themselves that they're reading and that's what King Saul was doing the passage goes on Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but he had departed from Saul King Saul knew that the Lord was not with him anymore when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter I'm gonna just call her Michael Michael loved David Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his what his his what enemy the rest of his days so Saul completely turns against David at this point it goes on it says Saul uh, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning so it's nighttime they're all surrounding David's house now they're going to kill him he's the hero of Israel and now he's about to be killed but Michael David's wife warned him if you don't run for your life when tonight it's night it's the nighttime of David's life. He's, he's got the pinnacle of success and popularity and prestige, and it's all going to be wiped out. He didn't deserve any of it. He didn't ask for it. He didn't know that it was coming. Does it sound familiar to some of you? You didn't deserve it. You didn't know it was coming. You had no idea how devastating it was going to be. You didn't know that you were going to be accused of things you never did. You were going to be slandered. You were going to be defamed. People that once liked you are now going to think suspiciously about you, and you're going to lose a lot of things that are yours you earn them you deserve them but they're going to be taken away and they're going to go quickly they're going to go in one night i hope it doesn't sound familiar but it wouldn't be an unusual experience when david had fled and made his escape he went to samuel so he goes back to samuel samuel had anointed him as king at ramah and told him all that saul had done to him then he and samuel went to naoth and stayed there so that's kind of the end of where we'll go today so the night that we're talking about, the night of defamation and devastation, your credibility is shot in the eyes of multitudes of people. People that once thought highly of you, once liked you, someone is so persuasive they don't anymore. Not only that, but you lose things that you have earned and you deserve, and all of a sudden your world is shot. It's turned upside down, and you have to just literally run. You're on the run. You're, you're just put into a survival mode. That's the kind of night we're talking about. Now, when, the, when these things occur, it is inevitable that we ask the questions, why? And, and certainly, we don't know this, but it wouldn't have been unusual for David to have said, why? 
Why, Lord? You know I've been faithful to you. All I've been doing is doing what you wanted me to do. I'm right in the center of your will. I'm completely surrendered to you. Why? Why me? Why now? Why this? You wanted me to be king. You sent Samuel to me. I didn't go to him. I didn't ask for any of this. And now this, I'm losing everything. I'm losing the prestige that you had given me. I'm losing the wife that had been given to me. I'm I'm losing everything. Why? Why me? Why now? And maybe... Maybe some of us can think back at times when we ourselves had that kind of a conversation with God. It's like, God, I don't get it. It's like, why? You you know I've been faithful to you. Why me? Why now? I'm doing everything that you want me to do. Why? It's the why of mankind. And we ask it in a lot of different ways. It's the why of, well, well, why do, as I said earlier, bad things happen to good people? Why are there such uh, violent incidences that happen to innocent people? Why are children trafficked? Why? You, you get sometimes these people that are kind of militant atheists, and they will fasten on to this why. And they will say, you know, if God is almighty, and if God is all good, why does he allow young children to be sex trafficked? And, and they'll try to find the most hideous expressions of evil in our society. And they'll say, why doesn't God jump in and stop that? You know, if he's so good and if he's so powerful, why doesn't he stop it? Now, the interesting thing about people like this that I found is they never take responsibility for themselves, meaning that it's human beings that are trafficking other human beings. It's people that are doing this. It's not God. God's not doing it. And people have the ability to do and to not do. But the militant atheists, they're they're just trying to find a way to escape accountability to God so they don't ask those questions. But it's important that we have a frame of mind that we we know there's more to this than just that god can kind of step in the other thing about the militant atheists is is they they pick certain forms of evil but they never pick their own form they may be liars they may be cheats they may be adulterers they may be you know hooked on pornography they, they may be wicked in many ways in their life but they don't want god to jump in and eliminate those forms of evil they just want god to jump in and eliminate certain forms of evil that they're not participating in well, God promises that he's taking full responsibility for evil. He's allowing evil. Openly, he states in his word, he's allowing evil for a little while, but he's going to abolish it forever. He has a timetable. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he takes full responsibility to the point that Jesus went to a cross saying, here I am to express my love for mankind, but also to, to put the world and the universe on notice. Evil is limited. It has a short shelf like shelf life it's going to be judged it's going to be abolished so god's taking responsibility for this but but evil is something that as long as evil exists in the universe those dark nights of defamation and destitution they can happen to anyone doesn't matter if they're faithful to god or unfaithful to god you can have the night now the scripture speaks a little bit more about what's behind some of this it says in james 3 16 it says where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and what else every evil practice Saul had envy of David he was jealous and selfish ambition and therefore ends justify the means when you're driven by selfish ambition and envy you know whatever gets you what you want that's legitimized by the way based on this one verse there's not a politician alive that uh, is not full of evil (laughs) because they're all full of selfish ambition. I mean, there might be a good one out there. I don't know. But um, this gives us a sense of what's behind. It's not God that is responsible 
for the evil it's it's evil human beings let me go on and this is amplified in the book of romans chapter 3 it says that as it is written there is no one righteous not me not you not anyone not the pope not anyone not even one there's only been one righteous and that's christ himself their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood ruin and misery mark their ways and so when we ask the question why is god allowing evil well he is allowing evil for a time so that he can abolish it forever but it's you and i and other human beings that are filling this world with the chaos with the randomness that that evil brings so david goes through this this night of defamation and destitution not because of his evil but because of Saul's evil, but God's not stepping in and stopping all evil at this time. Jesus himself, the last night he was with his disciples, he wanted them to have realistic expectations of life as his followers. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have, what is the word? Trouble. So we shouldn't be surprised that when we're, when we're in the center of God's will, we still can have trouble. David was in the center of God's will. Jesus closed it by saying, but I've overcome the world. The, the thing Jesus was implying by I've overcome the world, evil tends to want to reproduce itself in us. We, we tend to want to retaliate. When, when a certain form of evil is done to you or to me, we want to retaliate in like form. Jesus refused to do that. He, he absorbed on the cross the evil of the universe, and he calls his followers to learn to do the same to extinguish and expose evil not to retaliate and and you know kind of keep the multiplication of evil going now behind all of the evil there is a central personage a singular singular personage in the book of first john it says this it says we know that we are the children of god when when that statement is given there i want to pause for a minute john is writing to people that have made a decision ask yourself this question have you done the same John is writing to people who have made a decision to put their trust in Christ and become his follower. They are now called the children of God. When we put our trust in Christ and become his follower, God forgives all of our sins, gives us the free gift of everlasting life in his kingdom, gives his spirit to indwell us so we can start to grow and develop and become the Christ-like version of ourselves that God always intended. So it's really important that you answer this question for yourself would John be writing to you when he says we know we're the children of God he's writing to people that oh yeah John I, I know because I, I made my decision in a world where everybody's following somebody I made my decision I put my trust in Christ and I am his follower and following Jesus means I'm going to live the way he tells me to live in his word he says to learn something I'm going to learn it he says to do something I'm going to do it he says to stop something I'm going to stop it if we're not actively trusting him by our conduct changes we're, we're probably not yet in a state of full trust in him or we're deceiving ourselves so anyway that behind this all he says the whole world is under the control of who the evil one it's saying that behind the scenes there there's this this individual he's called lucifer he's called satan he's called the devil lots of different names but he is the author of evil and it says he's controlling like a puppeteer a giant puppeteer of the whole world now the way that satan controls you and i is not directly it's indirectly in other words satan has a philosophy of life his philosophy of life is freedom his his anger his his argument seems to have been in heaven 
that if God loves us so much, why doesn't he give us freedom to be self-originating and you know, create our own will, do things our own way? Why doesn't he give us equal power with himself? And so Satan's version of freedom is very attractive. It's like do whatever you want, whatever gives you pleasure. Do what you want, do what you please. Don't let anybody tell you what to do or how to do it. Don't let anybody be your law. You set the boundaries. It's, it's freedom falsely so-called because it leads to enslavement. It leads to bondage leads to various kinds of addiction so when I unknowingly or you unknowingly fall into that state of mind where I just say you know I don't give a rip what anybody else thinks I'm going to do what I feel like doing I'm going to do what gives me pleasure I'm going to do what I want I am now under his control because I'm thinking the way he thinks I'm, I'm embracing his philosophy of life by the way uh, some of you notice some of you don't know it evil started in heaven it did not start on earth we tend to think that it was adam and eve you know committed the first sin that is not true the bible teaches clearly evil started in heaven in the very presence of god in a perfect environment satan lucifer and an angel a very exalted angel he decides to break trust with god rebel against him and he leads one-third of the angels to join with him so evil can happen even in the very presence of heaven that's why when i said earlier god's allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever the way that god is abolishing evil is he's letting evil express itself he's letting you and i experience evil and that's the hope god has is that it will immunize some of us from ever wanting to be uh, out of step with god again once we experience evil once we live in a world where evil is existent god's hope is that we will see for ourselves disregarding his will disobeying his will it always ends up hurting us ultimately maybe not initially uh, maybe not immediately but, but ultimately so he's immunizing us in hopes to immunize us and then by revealing himself on the cross his sacrificial love for us he's seeking to win back our entire trust knowing that he knows what's best and wants what's best and we can never do better for ourselves than when we trust Christ and begin to live obedient to the way he designed us to live all right that's kind of a secondary message let me share a statement with you god intends this life to be a developmental process leading us toward what christ-like maturity remember we said if, we, if it was going to be a king over the whole world there's certain traits we want that king to have you know kindness tenderheartedness justice fairness david was going to be a king what better way for him to develop and grow than by experiencing injustice then by experiencing grief, then by experiencing loss, then by experiencing what it is to be powerless and pushed around. When Saul goes after him, David has to run for his life, and this run goes on for between four to eight years. David is living as a fugitive. He's living in caves. At one point, his journey gets so bad, he's in the Philistines' camp, and he has to fake that he's insane, and as the Bible says, let spit dribble down his face in order to escape from the philistines david is utterly humiliated but is that a bad thing well randy of course it's bad it's unfair it's unjust it hurts his feelings it, it, it's it's doing terrible things but won't that potentially make him far more tender toward the forgotten the oppressed the brokenhearted those that are trodden under the foot of others who are more powerful of course so sometimes what what's good looks bad and what's bad can be good if we're willing to let god's light his truth into our hearts and lives because this ultimately is is what his intention is he intends this life your life my life our purpose our existence it's to be a developmental process leading us toward christ-like maturity 
Now, to get us to that place, though, he has lots of different means, kind of lots of different tools in his toolbox. Romans 8 just reiterates this statement. It says, and we know that in all things God works for what? The good. God works in all things for the good. For who? Those who love him. So if you love him, he's always at work for your good. Even if you're going through the night of defamation, your reputation's been shattered, people don't like you, they used to like you, you've lost things that you worked hard for that you deserve and yet they're gone they're shattered they're never to be had again even then he's working for your good for my good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he knew in advance those that would ultimately put trust in Christ and become his followers and those that would never for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed metamorphosed transformed to the image of who his son that's where we get this developmental process we're meant to develop to become more Christ-like in this life if somebody ever asks you what's your purpose in life well now you know it. it it is to grow to become mature and to become mature means you become I become a Christ-like version of myself I'm just curious how many of you in, in here that have kids can um, can remember when you were trying to potty train your kids can I see your hands Okay. okay, so you're going to get it down with you. And you probably remember the first time your little boy, your little girl, they're like, oh, 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 potty. I got to go potty. You know, and you were like, oh, I am so proud of you. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just, you know, they're just going potty. But, man, that's a big deal, big deal. Now, if your 35-year-old son had Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> it's still, got to go potty, got to go potty. You know, number two, number two. Not so pretty, is it? Not so pretty. Where am I going? <laughs> we're supposed to, we're supposed to, as Christians, grow. We're supposed to become actually more like Christ. H how do you measure Randy's spiritual growth? You don't measure it by how many Bible verses somebody has memorized. You don't memorize it by how much theology they understand. You don't memorize it by you know how much they're giving or all these things and these things are all important too don't get me wrong but the measure is am I changing is my conduct changing is the way I think changing is my value system changing am I actually becoming more compassionate like Christ more gentle like Christ more forgiving like Christ it's actual change of my character that is the measure of spiritual growth and we have too many people that are still I'm going to go potty I got to go potty and they've been sitting in churches for 20 years they don't grow they're not growing how many of you know as much as I wish this were true how many of you know that if you sit here like this Sunday in Sunday out for the next 20 years you won't necessarily grow it's not that I'm not giving you the goods but you're not necessarily going to grow because it requires activation right so, so we have to understand that there's methodology processes that God has put in place for our development, for our growth. And sometimes these nights of defamation and devastation can catalyze. They can bring forth dynamic growth, spiritually speaking, that normal times cannot. None of us like to think about that, but... I'm going to illustrate that for you in a bit that, that it's true. So we've looked at the why man. man. You know, man says, why God? Why me? Why now? Why this? This makes no sense. I don't deserve this. I'm angry at you. You're, you've abandoned me. I'm abandoning you. These are the temptations that come to us when we go through that dark night of the soul. 
But let's listen to the why of God. And the why of God speaks to his developmental process for us. David was going to be a king. And to be a good king, he had to become a good man. There's no separating those two. There's no academic solution to this. You have to become something different. I have to become something different. God wants us to become actually more Christ-like people, and he, he is ready to help us in that process. But a lot of times we get confused. We think it just kind of happens magically, but, but there's process that has to go into place. I'm going to share with you some of these steps. Here we go. First of all, there's God-inspired repetition, meaning that, that God tells me to do something, and that motivates me. I'm inspired. I love God. I want to do what he wants me to do. I trust him more than I trust me. So let's look at an example. Ephesians 4 through 2, Paul the Apostle writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus. It says, be what? Kind and compassionate to one another. Now, it doesn't tell us how to do this. It just says, do it. <laughs> it just says, be. So how do you do that? Randy, well, suppose I don't feel kind. Suppose I don't feel compassionate. Well, well how can I do it if I, don't, if I don't feel it? These are emotional responses to some degree. Well, here's what the Scripture is teaching us just do the kind things you may be feeling grumpy and selfish do the kind thing take that pause and do what is kind you may not feel any sensitivity to someone that's in your circle of influence but they're kind of in your proximity and maybe they're looking for help do the compassionate thing before you feel compassion if you and i continue to do the things that god tells us to do and we do it over a protracted period of time we become we become in other words if i keep doing the kind things i will start to gradually become kind if i keep on doing the compassionate things i will eventually start to feel differently and be compassionate that is one of god's developmental processes if we don't do these things though we don't experience the development now that's only one i'm, I'm going to take you through a bunch more here we go God inspired immersion. It's not about baptism. <laughs> Even though we're having a baptism service, I think, in February or something. It's, uh, immersion is what we do to you. We're going to plunge you under the water, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Galatia, he says, carry each other's what? Burdens. What is a burden? Well, it's some kind of struggle. It's some kind of a problem. It's some kind of pain. It's something going on in someone else's life, but it tells me that I am to help carry yours, and it tells you you're to help carry mine. This means I have to immerse myself in your stuff to carry your burden, to help you carry your burden. I have to have you immerse yourself in my stuff, my struggles to carry my burden. And here's the fascinating thing. Let me give you an easy example. You take someone that gets involved in, in the world of addiction, and then they start to, start to reach out to those that are in the addiction community and, and they just start to minister to them and care for them and pray for them and help them and hang them. they will develop this intense sensitivity to people with addiction problems they will love them they will feel for them they will know their struggles when that person goes three steps forward and then falls back they'll be right there to help pick them up again when we immerse ourselves in another person's world another person's struggles gradually we start to feel differently for them. We start to, to care for them. We start to understand what they're going through. This changes us is what I'm trying to show you. This is one of the ways God helps us to change and become more Christ-like. We just get involved in caring and serving and helping another person's problems, not just our own. Now, there's three others that I want to share with you, and, and these are different in that, that God kind of 
does these or allows these to occur to us. These require our will. I have to be willing to get involved and immerse myself. I have to be willing to do the kind thing, do the compassionate thing until I become kind and compassionate. These other three I'm going to show you, God kind of helps us. He catalyzes it from the outside. God allowed examination. I'm just curious, how many of you have ever maybe thought to yourself, man, I, I just wish... I wish my trust in Christ was stronger. I, I wish my faith in God was stronger. Maybe you've even prayed for it. Just curious. How many have ever wished that or prayed for that, that your trust in God would grow stronger? Well, God is here to help us. Here it is. Here's how your trust in Christ can grow stronger. God's going to help us to develop. You know how when you want to grow physically stronger, what do you have to do? You have to lift some weights or do some push-ups or something. You have to have some resistance follow this out rejoice in this it says in first peter chapter 1 6 rejoice in this even though for a little while you may have to experience grief in what various trials so he's writing to followers of christ and he's saying you're going through trials grief by the way the background of this is nero had burned rome down blamed it on the christians the christians were being rounded up and dragged into the Colosseum and killed for their faith in christ so that's the trials they were going through now go on let's read the rest of it even gold is tested for genuineness by fire the purpose of these trials is so that your what your trust's genuineness your trust in christ is it real is it genuine is it pure is it strong is it weak it's being tested by the trial what did we say how do you get stronger you 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 have to have some resistance God's allowing to bring some resistance into our life so that our trust, our faith in God can grow. doesn't have to grow. If we walk away from God, it doesn't. But if we stay faithful, it does, which is far more valuable than perishable gold will be judged worthy of praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of Yeshua, that's Jesus, the Messiah. So it's saying that trials, God allows trials to come into my life, your life, not to hurt me, but to help me grow stronger in my trust to stay faithful as the push comes to walk away from God and his will I cling to him instead we cling to him instead and by virtue of that our trust grows stronger in him because he inevitably gets us through he never fails his people that are faithful to him so that's a God allowed way to get our trust strengthened let me show you one more two more actually God allowed expansion now by expansion I mean this Maybe you have prayed this prayer. Oh, God, I, I wish that I could be more useful to you. I wish I could be more effective in serving you. I wish I could have more impact for you and the lives of other people. I'm going to just ask you, how many have ever prayed or thought that way at all? You, you wish that, you know, God could work through your life more. Well, well, Paul, the apostle, wanted the same thing. In fact, he was at a point in his life where he had a particular pain in his life. It says that, that he had such a pain. He called it a thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger from Satan that was bringing great pain to him. And he begged God three times to take away the pain. I'm sure most of us have had times where we ask God to take away some pain in our life. And if it's sitting beside you, don't, don't look. Just wink at me. Just, <laughs> but, you, but we've asked God to take away some pain. <laughs> but he didn't. I'm going to just tell you, I ha I've asked God to take away some pain, and he didn't. How about you? How many have had that happen? Yeah. Same thing with Paul. The Lord said, no. No, Paul. I'm not going to take away your pain. You want to be used more widely. I'm going to give you what you want, but it's not going to come the way you expected. 
I'm not going to take away your pain. Your pain is the key to being used more effectively. Now, listen to it. But he said to me, this is the Lord talking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. When I feel like, man, I can't deal with it anymore, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm just clinging by a thread to you, Lord, because I, I just can't deal with much more of this. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why, Paul? So that the power of Christ may, what? Rest upon me. Meaning that when he spoke to other people about Christ, it was going to be more effective and impactful. And to Paul, that meant more than his personal comfort. It goes on. For the sake of Christ, then, this is Paul speaking again. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. I'm content with weaknesses. I'm content with, what is the word? I don't think many of us would be content with insults. At least not initially. Do you agree? You take insults well? I don't. <laughs> Paul is saying, learn to take insults. Let them break you down. Let him take you into that dark night. Let, let the, the night of def, def, defamation, let, let it hit its target and break you down. But you cling to me so that you don't retaliate. You know who you are, and you watch how my power will be able to work through you, in you as you interact with others. He says, so I, I've learned to be content with insults, hardships, defamation and devastation David went through, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? What did he mean? He meant, when, he meant when things break me down, when things bring me to that place where I'm at the end of myself, I cling to God. I pray with desperation and, and intense energy. I, I hang on to him because I have nothing else, or I may feel like I have nothing else, or no one else to survive. But when I do that, I find the secret that God actually is enough and he starts to have freedom to work in me and through me more effectively so I call it God allowed expansion he expands your ability my ability to be effective in the lives of others as we're willing to entrust our, our soul's care to him let me share one more God allowed initiation this one we really don't like um, many of you have had initiations in things, maybe into fraternities and things, and they whack you with a big paddle or something, you know, as the initi initiation. Guys probably, probably know about this. I don't know about women. I don't know if they whack each other with paddles or anything. We, we men, we like to punch and whack and that kind of thing. Philippians 4, here's Paul once again. He's writing. By the way, he's writing from a prison when he writes this, and he doesn't know if he's going to be executed or not. He says, not that I was ever in need for I have learned, notice the process, I have learned how to be what? Content. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He goes on. I have learned the secret. It's a really unique Greek word to choose there. It's for those that were initiated into the secret cultic worships that were... Um, popular in Rome he's saying I've been initiated I've been initiated into this I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little for I can do everything through who through Christ who gives me strength Paul says man I've, I've learned the secret to be content you you can put me in any situation I don't care what it is feast or famine needs met needs not met 
I can cling. I've learned the secret because I've had to do it, Paul is saying. I cling to Christ, and he gives me strength. He infuses strength enough in me just for one more hour, one more day, one more week, one more month, and, and I can do things that I can't do in my own power. So God initiates us into all these differing experiences in life. We have to go through them, cling to Christ in them in order to find the secret, experience the secret. And then we will walk away better individuals, more Christ-like, content with things as they are. We, we know we got a kingdom that's coming where every, every desire of our heart will be met for all eternity. But for now, in this life, we have to learn to be content in any and every situation, and we can do that through Christ. Let me share that statement with you one more time. God intends this life to be a developmental process leading us toward Christ-like maturity. David was going to be a king to be a good king he had to be a tender-hearted king, a humble king, a gentle king, a kind king, a forgiving king, a merciful king, a loving king, a caring king. And God, by allowing him to go through the dark night of his soul and experience oppression and injustice and mockery and humiliation and emotional pain and relational pain and loss, by these things, he changed David on the inside, and then David became a better Christ-like human being and his influence on people was positive instead of negative and I know you want that I know we all want that but it it comes through a process and the process sometimes can be confusing because all we see is bad but God's trying to work out good through the bad that we're going through let me give you the wind up of those principles I just shared with you God-given transformation processes first of all there's God-inspired repetition remember be kind until you are kind God-inspired immersion. I get involved in other people's pain, and by that I become more tender-hearted. Uh, I, I understand what I didn't understand before. God allowed examination. God allows trials to come into my life to test my trust. But when I stay faithful to Him, my trust grows stronger because I've endured the trial. God allowed expansion. He allows me to go through insults, calamities, all kinds of things because in that process I grab hold of Him, hold tight, and then he can work through me more freely. God allowed initiation. He allows me to go through all kinds of experiences, ups and downs in life, so that I can learn to be content. It is worth learning to be content because then you have kind of a, an interior climate control mechanism that nothing on the outside can penetrate your world too badly on the inside. Romans 8.28 is where we started. We know, we know that in all things, God works for the, what's the word? the good even in the dark night of defamation and destitution where we are being completely defamed completely slandered completely rejected people that like us don't like us anymore reputation shot losses colossal losses maybe maybe economic maybe relational maybe health i don't know it could be anything but God's still God. And the good news to you, Christian, the good news to you who are real followers of Christ, you will never face anything in this life that God is not with you, that God is not for you, that he is not intending to work good. My job, your job, is to stay faithful to him, is to trust him, is to cling to him, is to stay obedient to him in his word. No matter what our circumstances are, we should never ask those questions. God why are you letting this happen to me if you love me why are you letting this happen we measure God's love by Christ on the cross we don't measure God's love by our circumstances and that's where we often get confused 
So here it is. We know that God works in all things works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew. Now, the good that he's working, it's this transforming good. He's working good so that we can grow, we can develop. Christian, you got to ask yourself a question. How long have I been a follower of Christ? Uh, is it a year? Is it a month? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? Is it 30 years? How long have I been a follower of Christ? Am I a follower of Christ? Am I really a follower of Christ? But if I am, have I grown? Is, is there some measurable, is there some way that I can see that my character has authentically been changed that I have become at least a bit more like Christ? You say, Randy, you're talking about that sinlessness stuff again. I'm not talking about sinlessness, but I am talking about sinning less. There's something wrong when a Christian calls himself a Christian, and they've been a Christian for decades, and they're not sinning any less than when they were so-called not a Christian. But it's not just about sinning less. It is, it is about truly becoming more like Christ. God wants that for you. He'll take the worst circumstance, Christian, that you ever go through, and he's just waiting and watching, eager to bring good. But the good that he's going to bring out, it's going to become the good of our character change I know some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been through the dark night of the soul. You've come out on the other side. You've seen the goodness of God in the way that he's changed your heart, changed your life, created some, some tenderness and some wisdom, and, and you can speak a language to the hurting soul of another. You know the language of their soul, and you wouldn't trade that for the world. God wants to work good in our lives. So Christians, if you go through... And maybe you are. Maybe right now. The thing is bad about the dark night of the soul is that you don't know when it's going to stop. Read the story of Joseph sometime, Christians. On your own, read Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Joseph is the, one of the best men in all of Scripture. There's not one negative thing said about Joseph. Joseph didn't even have a Bible. And he's betrayed by his own family. He is sold into slavery by his brothers. And for 13 years, he just, he languishes in and out of prison, one terrible circumstance after another, and he stays faithful to God through it all. He ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt and saving the very lousy brothers that sold him into slavery. He's, he's a wonderful, beautiful, noble individual. But he gives you and I courage to know that God always brings his faithful people out. And right now, you might be going through a dark place, and, and you're just hanging by that thread. Hang on to that thread. Hang on to it for one more day. Hang on to it for one more week, if you can do that. Hang on to it for one more month. Hang on to it, you're not going to like this, for another year. And if you have to, hang on to it for another five years. Or like Joseph, for another 13 years. And you'll see the goodness of God. I promise you, you'll see the goodness of God. He does not fail. He is faithful to his people. Let's pray. Father, you, you know us inside out. You know our individual circumstances. You know the fears that we have. You know the pain that we're enduring. You know the hopelessness that some of us are feeling. Help us to lay hold of your goodness. Help us to lay hold of your love that Peter said earlier. It's just, it's almost beyond our comprehension. Help us to know that even in the darkest nights, you are with us, you are for us, and you will bring us through. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.